This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. Great to have you with us on this Friday, wrapping up the week. I feel very honored having Jack and Susie Welch here in the studio. Uh, they have a new book out, The Real Life MBA. I, I had I had a lot of fun going through this book. I tell you, it it for somebody that that. I come from a blue-collar background. You know, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and I had a job when I was 15 years of age working for Philadelphia Electric Company on their golf course, and then when I was 16 and 17 years of age working for Pico on a line crew, fixing electric service under lines out in the suburbs of Philadelphia. I enjoyed this, and I enjoy books talking about how people can really can really kind of get a handle on their lives, and, and that seems to be a lot of what you guys talked about in the book. Now, the book has got three parts. Um, the first part is about uh, winning the game, you know, sort of winning its strategy and figuring out how to get your company aligned. Yeah. And the second part of the book is about building a great team. Well, we call it a wow team, um, and, and taking into account all the different types of managers that exist, uh, all the types of employees that exist in the world today. And that third part of the book is all about growing a great career. And that's that's hard these days. I mean, yeah. it's harder and harder. Um, and so uh, you're right. We do cover the sort of real real life aspects of working and, and, and coming at it from three different angles. What's the biggest thing, Jack, you think that that, that companies, uh, the biggest mistake they're making today? I mean, it, it's it's a much different economy now than, than 2007. I mean, it's, it's night and day. Well, it's tough out there, Dan. And uh, the big deal out there is engagement. Yeah. Our employees being engaged. So from two standpoints, this book tries to deal with the employee, how they can become more engaged, yeah. and the manager how they can get the employee more engaged. Gallup just came out this month's poll again, pretty consistent with the last uh, three or four years since the recession. Only 35% of the respond of the uh, people polled feel they're engaged in work. That hasn't yeah. changed. Imagine going into a game with 65% of your team <laughs> not turned on to play. That would be a big problem. Yep. And it's a big problem at work. Well, but it, it seems like, though, the, that there has been a little bit of a fundamental shift. And maybe it's, in some respects, generational, with, with more millennials getting into the workforce and, and just chasing that, that, that dream of what they have, that, that people... <clears throat> that companies understand that the people you have are are maybe even more valuable now than they were 20 years ago because you don't want to lose them. You don't want to have to, you know, spend all the time in HR and and, and rehire people and and fill slots and take all that time. It just it just drags down the company. And yet, well, at the same time, uh, the people at work have seen um, uh, their jobs pulled out from underneath them since the 2008 sure. recession. They've just seen layoffs and they've seen downsizing. They've seen whole industries shut down overnight or you know pretty quickly because yeah. of uh, fu fundamental technology changes and so it's true uh, companies do understand how valuable these um, great people are and at the same time uh, individuals are sort of saying I'm not going to be at any company forever I'm my own brand I'm my own business and I'm going to go where the going's good when people want meaning in their work they spend all their time at their work yeah. and they want to have purpose for it and they want to know what's in it for them to do it and that connection of what they're doing why they're doing it 
and what's in it for them is a key part of this book. It's interesting because uh, you guys put together a book, what, about a decade ago, mm-hmm. and now you have this one out, and you've been doing a variety of different things, kind of going around the globe and, and doing conversations, talking in conference. You say in the, in the early part of the book that this has been an unbelievable learning experience for you this last 10 years as well. The alignment issue, as we go out and talk to people, we've talked to over a million people, in the last uh, 10 years at different locations around the world. And over and over again, we see frustrated workforces. We see lack of engagement. We don't see an alignment between coming to work, winning, Mm -hmm. and having fun. And we try in this book to look, look at it from two sides, the manager's side and the employee side so that we give an angle to each one to try and enhance their life experience at work. And just get the fun back in work. (laughs) As if work's not fun, look at what, you know, 40 hours a week and you're just slogging away, that stinks. Well, and you talk about it in the book is that people really, they not only should they just find a job, they should find a job that, they that they like that they really love that they can well, we call it more than that we call it your area of destiny we, yeah. we urge people to get build their careers in a, at that intersection of what they're uniquely good at yeah. okay some people are good at a lot of things but you are uniquely good at something yeah. and what you love to do and if you can identify those two um things and you can say okay what's at the intersection of the of them then you're in your area of destiny if, you, if you're not working there you you got to work your way towards there otherwise you're it's really a grind we are joined by Jack and Susie Welch, the book that they have out right now, The Real Life MBA, Your No BS Guide. By the way, I love anybody that will put BS in the title of a book. Uh, to winning the game, building a team, and, and growing your career. Uh, as you said, you guys have done a lot of Q&As uh, with various companies and various organizations, especially over the last decade. Are people in general, do they feel a little bit better now than they did back in 2007? No, there's not. Seven, no, eight, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and from the beginning to now, there's a little better feeling. The problem is, Dan, that managers still are not transparent enough in today's world. So when we ask people in an audience, how many of you know where you stand? Where do you fit in your company? Where are you? What's your trajectory forecast to be? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. And we asked to raise their hand in audiences of thousands. You don't get 10 or 15% yeah. who say they know where they stand. They don't. And so unless an employee knows or where they're going, yeah. it's a tough way to spend a day. I can honestly say that I know a little bit where I'm going right now because I love being here and doing this show and having the opportunity to do unbelievable interviews on a variety of topics. And that's passion. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to to have the conversations about this book or we talked actually, ironically enough, we talked about, you know, the GE Capital situation yep. uh, earlier on the show today. Uh, you know, it, it it's unbelievable how if you don't have that passion that you can still and part of it is the transparency with, with, with bosses these days, that you can go through life 30, 40 years and, and like you say, just slog away yes. and, and and not enjoy it. It stinks. I mean, it happens just way too often. But that's why it's imperative for you as an individual to to identify your area of destiny and to work there. And if yeah. you're not in it, go get, go get find it and live in it. And that's why it's imperative for 
people who lead teams, even if the team has three people, 30 people, 300,000 people, it doesn't make any difference. It's your job as a leader to yeah. tell people where they stand so they know if they're doing great or if they need to change in some ways or mm. if they need to find other work. And the fact that people sort of walk in or sleepwalk through their jobs is just criminal. And a lot of that now really does fall on the C-suite. That, that even more so today than ever it used to be, and I'm not sure what it was back, you know, in your day. But it just, you know, the CEOs, the CFOs could be separate from the from the the no, guts. Of, no, 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 no. It's even more so today. Yeah. I agree. But uh, the winning companies back in those days had their hands dirty. We're in there. We're transparent. Yeah. Let everybody know where they stood. So was that your key? That's when, my whole philosophy. Was that how you did it when you were Absolutely. running? Absolutely. Every every quarter, I sat down and said, "Here's what I like about what you're doing. Yeah. And here's what you need to do and improve." Little card, handwritten, four times a year. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, th then, why have we lost that then? No, we haven't lost it. <clears throat> Technology has not done us a lot of favors okay. in All terms right. of socialization. Okay. It's done a lot of favors in terms of speed and some other areas, but the human equation's a little less. Upwards of 35% of people work remotely now. Work yeah. from home or yeah. work part-time and work at home some of the time and not all the time. And, you know, you used to sort of know where you stood. If, if your boss wasn't telling you in a, in a structured the way, the way Jack suggests that they do, you at least could pick up a little bit about how you were doing by seeing your boss every day and sort of, you know, seeing really, you know, eye contact, number of times you met and chatted. Sure. And now technology, everybody's, everything's email. <laughs> and it's... and it's. Susie, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, the chapter where we deal with the new types of workforce, for example. Yeah. People are out there dealing with new types of... Yeah, yeah. You know, we have a chapter in the book that's called Geniuses, uh, Tramps, and Thieves. It's a takeoff on the share song. Dun, da, da, dun, da. Oh, you yeah. For radio, right, yeah. I might <laughs> sing it, right? Um, you know, Gypsies, we Tramps... Could, and, we could, we could you know, find it online and play it if we it's need to. Sunny and Cher, right? So I... <laughs> all right, we could... Uh, but, you know, it was Gypsies, Tramps and Thieves, but we, right, you know, what the book really is about the last 10 years. And in the last 10 years, there's been three different kinds of worker groups that have really emerged. And geniuses, what we mean by that is um, people whose work you don't understand. Yeah. I mean, it used to be you rose up through the ranks, and you, by the time you got a job as a um, as a boss, you had done the work of everybody beneath you. Sure, yeah. As a reporter, yeah. I became an editor. I'd done the work when I was running a magazine, done the work of everybody who worked for me. Um, but now you can uh, come in from business school or whatever, and you can be running a business with 100 coders and have absolutely no idea what those coders do or the financial yeah. geniuses. Um, but it's really important that you that you are able to manage them because otherwise the um, um, inmates can start to run the asylum and, and the customer will suffer and the company would suffer. We, we had an interesting experience with this. We... We're taught we, our daughter, we're in California, mm -hmm. and our daughter had a problem with her iPhones. iPhones, and she brought, so we took it into the Genius Store. Yeah. And we're standing around the Genius Store, way waiting while they were fixing it, and talking to a kid who ran it with uh, some 20 to 30 coders or players, if you will. Yeah. Geniuses. In the, geniuses in, yeah. the, in the back room, and we said to him, What's your background? He said, Well, I have a BA from uh, Cal, Berkeley. Yeah. Well, how do you manage these guys? He says, I don't know what the hell they do back there. He said, but I do know one thing, that I know how the customer feels when they, when he, when they bring the product back out again. Yeah. I'm all into one measurement. Are they happy? Did they get it fixed? And they get it fixed quickly. So you got to manage outputs, not manage how they're doing that when you're managing that type of workforce. Yeah.
it's actually sort of an upside because really managing outputs is what it's all about. You know, why should you be in the, you know, doing their job for them? So he was, you know, sure. he did talk yeah. about the importance also of knowing them as human beings um, so that he could make sure that they were sharing values around how the work was done. Um, the second group that we write about is, is, is we call them tramps, but it is this group of people who are not working where you are. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are whole companies now where everybody is remote. Um, uh, our son is applying <laughs> yeah. for, for a job at, at where actually they boast on the website that everybody just works from home. This is a company, 190 employees. Sure. Um, and how do you manage them so that you become greater than the sum of your parts? You know, how do you how, how, how do you make that a real team? And, and you know, a lot of that socialization, you know, it, ironically or paradoxically, I should say, is actually helped by technology because all you've got is technology to bring you close uh, uh, with these individuals sometimes. Yeah. And then the the third, um, uh, that thief part, um, you know, we're not talking uh, in this chapter about the people who steal from you because that number of people who actually steal or are ethically bad are, are pretty, it's pretty small. Yeah. Um, and we talk about how to handle them in another part of the book. But this is about the biggest thief of all in business today, and that's fear. It's, yeah, it's fear, yeah. fear, fear that you're going to lose your job, fear that they're not telling you something, the fear that, that you don't know where you stand. That puts that kind of fear in you. Technology is going to overtake you. Uh, right. Your yeah. job's going to become obsolete. Your <clears throat> industry is going to fall apart. Just fear. And you've got to manage fear. And that's part of wh where that line between passion and fear kind of plays in, because if people have if you're passionate about your job, you're going to probably look to do things within the company that maybe you normally might not do with somebody else. And to have that fear coming behind you as well, mm -hmm. it, it can get you. I hate to say it this way, but it can bite you in the backside if you're not careful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, fear can be both healthy and unhealthy. You know, sometimes fear is good. Jack talks a lot in the book about how paranoia, when you're talking strategically and competitively, that fear, fear of competitors, is absolutely essential. And getting your organization outside itself, yeah. outside internal politics, outside of what we're doing and looking at what the competition's doing is absolutely critical. So laying out the playing field today and what it might look like tomorrow it's a war game. You got to keep playing. And that, and in that, in that context, fear is great. But the kind of fear that that makes people incredibly unproductive at work because they're staring at their navel, you know, wondering <laughs> what's next, and uh, you know, and 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 moaning and groaning. That that's the unhealthy trading thing. emails with the person in the cube you next to you. <laughs> yep, happens every day. Well, and, and then with this proliferation of, of corporations that are are willing to have company uh, their employees work remotely, and obviously for some companies you're going to have a lot of that because if you're a national company that needs to have one person in San Francisco, one person in Boston, one person in Austin, Texas. Well, you have to do that. Well, well, my school, the Jack Welch Management Institute, yeah. is 100% online. We have 900 sure. MBAs. Yeah. And we've got people all over the globe taking our courses to get an MBA. Yeah. And our faculty is remote. So we have to. We talk in the book a lot about how you engage remote people. That's the trick. How do you make them feel? Yeah part of the organization. You can't let them float out in the ether. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you've got to make them really feel like they're bonded with you and it's hard and it's time consuming. But I mean, it's, 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 sure. it must be done. And you cannot let it, let it go to chance and you can't sort of let it be happenstance. <clears throat> and we really push hard for it being a discipline and we talk about different techniques um, for making it happen. Yeah, and I wanted to get into uh, uh, the the management institute that you guys are involved with, with uh, Strayer, which yeah. is interesting because it, you talk about branding and having a brand and, and being able to do that. That's part of, I'm guessing, the, the success that you're able to have with that, with all the, the graduates that you have and the people involved in it, because 
people know Jack Welch. People know Susie Welch. You know, they they understand the background and the history that you both have, which obviously is a benefit to to be able to push that forward. It's been an enormous benefit. I've been fortunate that way. We're we're growing forty percent a year. Our graduates are sixty five percent of them are being promoted while they're in school. Yeah, and they and these are thirty eight year old people. They're not people that are just fresh out of college going on to graduate school. Yeah. These, these are people at mid-career. We're changing lives, yeah. and it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. How, how different, though, is, is the experience, and obviously this is a big part of education these days, is being Not able... Not big enough. Okay, I, I agree with you on that. How big is it, how important is it to have this as a vehicle for education going forward online compared to getting your name here at Wharton or, or at Harvard they or wherever We're just talking about such different demographics. I mean, uh, if, you're fr- if you've worked for two years at a consulting firm and your parents can afford to send you to a beautiful, leafy um, uh, business school where you're, you stop your life for two years and yeah. go, you know, power to you. If you've got that flexibility, great. Yeah. But, you know, if you are a person who's uh, been working for 15 years and you need an MBA because you've been told you need one or you realize you don't have that 360 uh, mindset, yeah. then, then their education needs to provide a, a, a different model for those those individuals and it is with online i mean that's what's coming it's yeah. going to blow up the old models and, or, or, or and exist alongside you can't them. believe what's happening i mean it's so good to see these oh yeah people grow i mean it's uh, it's a fabulous experience it, it's funny because in some cases flexibility has been seen as a negative when you have the flexibility of time and being able to work from home but in this case Flexibility ends up being an unbelievable benefit. Well, well let, let me tell you, Dan, we every now and then uh, we say, let's have a meeting and bring everybody in and we'll have a socialization three days. Yeah. The people say, no, that's, the reason we signed up for this school yeah. is we want it to be asynchronous. asynchronous right? we, sure. we don't want it. We want to be able to live our lives because yeah. it's hard. They're spending 10 hours a course at night yeah. a week. It's <laughs> a... After their job, it's it's unbelievable. And, and but could you have seen yourself being tied to a project like this when you were running GE? No, but I love teaching at GE, and I taught every class. Yeah, for twenty one years at Crotonville School, I love yeah. I love education in that respect. We got, but I when when we started this online thing, we had no idea how contagious this thing is. We tiptoed into it. Yeah. I mean, we were approached by some people who said, hey, how about a, starting an online business school? And we are like, oh, we actually said no for two years, I yeah. think. And they kept on coming back saying, this is where education is going. And and then uh, once Jack began to see how it could transform lives and, and, and just just all its potential, yeah, uh, he went in hands, foot, head, body, jumped in full, <laughs> covered with mud, and he's all in. Really? Were you yeah. covered in mud? Or that? <laughs> he yeah. is every day. I mean, he runs that <laughs> I place. I love it. He runs that place. He became an entrepreneur, and he... And it just started as its great passion. Borden actually is doing something uh, with Coursera where they're yeah. providing content for people that are actually going to be flying on flights of JetBlue. Yeah. I mean, if you can provide content, you know. That, you don't get a degree. But you know what? Yeah. That fills another yeah. niche. It's another, another niche. niche. That's Absolutely. another niche. Power to them. Absolutely. But, but people, unfortunately, need a label. And need it for a more. Credential, more right. A credential. And... Uh, and these courses have a 
have a certain half-life. And, and having that label, though, that's something that continues to be an important piece of the puzzle. It, that's not going to change. No. no. Some people need a credential. But, you know, those courses on the plane, that's great for people who are just hungry learners. Yeah. That, that percentage of the that's population. It's yeah. wonderful. You take a plane ride and instead of, you know, watching Game of Thrones for the third time. You, you know, you, uh, you, get, you learn something you've always wanted to learn. I think that's awesome. We're joined by Jack Welch and Susie Welch. Uh, the book that they have out is uh, The Real Life MBA, Your No BS Guide to Winning the Game, Building a Team, and Growing Your Career. Uh, just the, the concept of putting the book together. I mean, I mean, it's, you know, it's it, when you carry your brand name around, that obviously is, is part of this, as we just said. But but putting the book together, what was what was the enjoyment in terms of just doing the book? Well, we, we had, let me just start off by saying we had a million people's input <laughs> That's we had, true. Yeah. We had 10 years of knowledge. Yeah. We threw a cycle. I've, I've got pro- private equity. She's got a lot of speaking tours and stuff. And we uh, interviewed so many people. people. Yeah. And we think we can help a lot of people with this book yeah. enrich their lives and their work careers. And so it's something we like to do. We like to write. Yeah. And we like. I mean, look, we enjoy the process. You know, we wrote Winning together 10 years ago, so we had invented the process back 10 years ago. Sure. And then we wrote Columns for Business Week together for five years. So we had a process, but nothing. No one ever finishes a book and says, gee, that was easier than I thought. <laughs> okay, and so when you're writing a book with someone else, you can sort of double that. So, you know, we have a process. We talk and talk and talk. We talk day and night. We talk when we wake up. We talk when we go to bed. And then we, I write and Jack edits, and we go back and forth 30, 40 times, not kidding, 50 times. Uh, obviously, we like it or we wouldn't keep doing it um you know are we happy we're done writing the book yes we're very happy yes, we're we, writing the book. but we like book tours but the book tour is a blast a well blast. yeah i know because we like people well, wait so. a minute you guys were in new york what yesterday and new haven new haven and, and, and here. here in philly yeah, yeah. and where else are you going we're going 15 cities dc yeah no we're not going to dc but we're going to minneapolis uh yeah. kansas city seattle cleveland. la cleveland nashville atlanta what's the best thing you learned from him so far I have learned everything from him so far. Uh, you know, I think that uh, he's a great leader and, and he's made me a better manager. I think with Jack Memmi, he, he lovingly called me the worst manager in the world, which is not um, un- not far from the truth. I was, I, you know, I was a good writer no, and editor. I also said the smartest person Okay, I so know. he thinks I'm smart. You, you, did you sleep on the sofa that night when you said that? <laughs> Um, no, know, we have constructive criticism. That's I mean, right. I, I, That's right. That's you know, he, I'm a, I was a good writer and editor. I did manage a large team, and when he would hear the ways I would manage it, he would, he would uh, comment uh, along with me being the worst putter in the world that I was the worst manager in the world. And so I, um, I've gotten better at both. I've gotten better at both, and with his guidance and his instruction and his example. Jack, what's the best thing you've learned from her? Uh, she tries to, and she does an effective job of it, of uh, filtering me. Yeah, uh, you know that there's a saying. Anybody, the only people you want to listen to in life are people under seven <laughs> and over seventy because yeah. they've lost their filters. <laughs> they, one doesn't have them, and the other one's lost. Them. That's right. Yeah, and. Um, so I think she's a great guidepost, and she's so damn smart. I, I just want to say, for the record, I prefer to call my filtering work editing. <laughs> and as a professional editor. That's okay. a background okay, choice okay, okay. right there. <laughs> I, I, by the way, I have three kids. One one is uh, eight going on nine and six-year-old twins. Oh. And I know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> I know, with, without the, the filter. with the filtering thing. Yeah. I, I go through that every day. Right. Uh, what's next for you guys? Book tour. Uh, well, we can't, think, we can't, that, we can't yeah. think that far ahead. I mean, there's just so. Right? I mean, I don't know Jack. Jack's going to keep growing his school. The school is the focus of my life. Yeah. And 
we're, and both of us are all in both ways on it. And uh, we're going to make a great, great school out of that. And the turn on of seeing these graduates that sure. we saw. Just, I mean, one thing we're not going to do is we're not going to retire. I mean, technically, Jack could be re- Jack retired, and and then sure. I and I got fired when he retired because I ran <laughs> off with him. And so, um, uh, so we're both sort of technically retired, uh, but th- we just like to we're just people who just don't sit still. So who knows what it will be? As as a gentleman that that led GE for a couple of decades, leaders today, what are they still missing? Look, I think the leadership today. Let's be clear, is so good compared to what it was in my time. Uh, people are much more engaged. People are more involved. The, the process is so much better. Yeah. And in, in my day, in my early days in particular, it was briefing books, fat offices. Yeah. Uh, and today it's not that way. It's more hands-on, get it done. And there are so many good leaders, whether it be Kevin Plank, Jeff Bezos, yeah. you pick them. They're all over the place. I do think leaders also, there's a higher cultural value on leaders being authentic. Sure. And so I do think there's more authenticity. People do bring more of their whole selves to work, but there, there's never enough of it. So You, you have to be authentic because yeah. people all the way down the food chain in the corporation mm-hmm. see when you're not. Yeah. And that's that, that's that motivation that, that builds a company, is it? Absolutely. In, in this book, we have what Leadership 2.0 is all about. Yeah. It distills down to two words. All these leadership bookings, truth and trust. Yeah, you've got to get truth in your company, and you've got to get rid of the spin and all that. And you'll only get that if people trust you. Yeah, if you've been authentic, if they know you have their back. All these things. So it's so critical to get truth and trust because truth and trust provide a fast place, a highly motivated team. Yeah. A winning team. We've got a couple minutes left. Uh, I did want to ask you about GE Capital Please. because... What, what, uh, what, what, what did you say about it? I'm well, well it, we talked about whether or not it was a surprise or not for it to happen. And the consensus was that maybe the timing was a surprise, but the, the, the end result probably was not a surprise. The fact that because of how the economy has changed, about how the, the, the country, that you know the way it sets up right now, it's a lot harder to run a financial services company now than it was a few years ago. Two words, Dodd-Frank. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, those, and you, you, those have been two pretty strong words lately. And, and SIFI. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. you've got regulation now coming down on this business. You can't leverage it. Yeah. It's a different business. Yeah. I think it was a brilliant move. Whether you can pick a week earlier, a week later, sure. who, who knows. But the facts are this was a smart move because of a lot of cash. And it goes back to what we focused on for years. Yeah. And the, and the healthcare sector part, part of GE obviously still ends up being an unbelievable, profitable, and, and important piece to this whole puzzle still, as is the energy sector. Power systems, yes. And, and aircraft engines. And aircraft engines, too. Enormously powerful. So those pieces, as, the, as their own entity, can still really carry a lot of the weight for GE because the profit numbers, the revenue numbers, were, were off the charts when you go back, you know, eight years for, for GE Capital, it was what, almost 50% of the revenue? Well, it got up to 50% in 2007. Yeah. And when we left, it was 40% to 40%. So it's a, it was a beautiful business. Yeah. Uh, so was the buggy whip one time. Yeah. <laughs> we go out to Lancaster, PA. We'll see if you right, know. Yeah. Right. Times change. It's great having you here. Thank you. Thank you very much. The book, by the way, Jack and Susie Welch, The Real Life MBA, your no BS guide to winning the game, building a team, and growing your career. It's out and available online, bookstores, the whole nine yards, and... 
It's number one. And number one. Right now on the book. Yes, and actually, one one other thing we'd love to add about this is all the proceeds of this book go to charity. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. As as with our previous books. Thank you very much for coming in. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.